everyone. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made, isn't it? Yeah, and we get to rejoice and be glad in it. Let me drag this out here. Um, you know what? I was sitting back here, well, standing back here, sitting and standing back here, and um, I realized that we have, we are sitting at the crossroads of greatness. I realized that this congregation specifically is poised to become all that God has destined for it to become. I <laughs> uh, know there's some skeptics in the house, but let me tell you, isn't the name of Jesus sufficient? To do all that he wants to do. You know, the uniqueness of this family uh, is striking. Uh, Where, where's Nick? Come on. Where guys can wear dreadlocks on one hand and and be dressed in suits and ties on the other. You know, where where we can sing contemporary worship songs with all of our heart and turn around and do responsive readings and do the hymns. I tell you what, and, and, and you might go, well, I prefer this or I prefer that. Guess what? It's not about what you prefer. It's about we serve a king who is absolutely enormously in love with you just the way you are. He doesn't care whether you have this haircut or that haircut, or as my son might say, no haircut at all. By the way, he's camping today, so uh, we'll cut him some slack. This morning, I'm just, I'm just full of it. You know, I, <laughs> that has a different connotation. Of, Man, that preacher's full of it. <laughs> you know what I meant? I tell you, I have been so excited over the last few days, and I can't even put my finger specifically on what it is. Well, let's try to move this ball forward here a little bit. Last week, um, Michael spoke about John the Baptist. We're in the Gospel of John, by the way. The first chapter, if you'd like to take your Bible and uh, turn there or scroll there if you're on your phone or some other device, uh, or um, just listen in. Last week, we, he talked about John the Baptist, uh, who was a forerunner of Jesus. Do you know this guy came and lived and had one central purpose, and that was to herald the coming of another? He said things like, he must increase and I must decrease. Hello? I think that might have some application to me. I think that might have some application to you. Because each one of us are in the process of decreasing so that he would increase. If you've not yet made that discovery, you're in for an exciting time because God wants you to move into something that is absolutely brand new, and that is to recognize the life of Jesus in you that will propel you into places you've never yet gone. You might be here today and have never given your life to Christ. You go, I don't know about all this religious stuff. Just trust in Jesus and give him all of yourself that you can, and he will give him all of himself to you. And that will begin an exchange that will transform your life. I better get to my sermon here. Uh, so John the Baptist was heralding the coming of Jesus, a forerunner. And in fact, the li- he pointed to the life 
of Jesus. And I believe that Myrtle Grove, in fact, uh, has been called as a forerunner church. That's why right now we're mixing it up. We've had plans of, well, shouldn't we go back to two services? Shouldn't we make one full out, pull the stops, go for a contemporary? Shouldn't we do another one? And God has just consistently said, not yet. No, not yet. Because I think some of what God is after is producing his life in us. Well, uh, if we're called to be a forerunner church... If we are called in the city, if we are called to be a forerunning people, heralding and pointing to someone else who is Jesus, we need to be a forerunning people. You see, God wants to produce some personal revival in our lives. Without that, we will slide into the status quo that will shake, that will quench and shake the life out of the people of God. See, God wants to renew your heart. He wants to start with me. He wants to start with you. So the church, then, is about people, and God wants to revive those individual people because the church is about people. And if you have a dead church, guess what? Come on, humor me. Somebody talk back to me. The people are dead. See, that's what we're talking about. And fortunately, we don't have one, but we're going to take up. We're going to hit the thrusters and begin to move in a way that some of you haven't yet seen. Some of in some of the ways that I've been praying to see. And I believe by the grace of God, I'm going to live to see it. Myrtle Grove occupying the full destiny of her calling in this city. A denominational, more or less traditional, blended mix of people, young and old, black and white, dreads and hair and no hair and the whole thing. God loves it all. You know what? Because we're family. Wouldn't it be stupid if we said everybody in my family needs to look like Cynthia? We'd all be cuter. (laughs) Or if I said everybody's got to look like me. Nobody in your family, not everybody in your family looks like you. They don't walk in in lockstep together. You see, that's the stuff that we need in the church. That's the way God has designed it. We are a body, a family of people. Now, uh, here's what I want to share this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, beginning reading at verse 29. Uh, And I'm going to read through verse uh, 34 in just a minute. And I dressed down this morning uh, so that I could wear a T-shirt. Because I want to talk just not so much about what it means to be a fan. I want to talk about what it means to be a real follower of Jesus. Now, this little shirt, um, I may allude to it a little bit later on, but why I'm not a fan? Well, you know what fans are. No, not that kind of fan. They're enthusiastic admirers of something. Uh, they easily ident- they're easily identifiable, usually. Uh, they're usually more enthusiastic than other people. Uh, they're, well, you know the guys. Um, Denny Anderson is here. Who's your favorite football team, Denny Anderson? Green Bay Packers. I just, now, I said that because, A, I saw Denny, and B, I already knew the answer to his question. Well, 
there are some fans of the Green Bay Packers who are very unusual. Of course, they'll wear the green jersey of Green Bay, but they also sometimes wear a cheese, like a big, big shaped Swiss cheese on their head. Now, that's a fan. That's somebody that's going to be a fool for what uh, they like. They like the Green Bay Packers. Now, I don't think I've ever seen Denny wear one, but I, he does go to Green Bay once in a while. Do you have one? He's a real fan. Well, you've seen the guys. Uh, how about the guys with body paint? Or, or women, for that matter, who paint themselves in the color of their team and, you know, they do all that craziness. Well, um, Guys in body paint, sometimes they get three or four of them together and they all uh, put, a, put a big letter on themselves and the, uh, uh, you know, two or three other people then give a different letter and they spell out the name of their uh, team. Um, I've never seen Green Bay do that, <laughs> a long word. Uh, but when I was, um, well, Anna was actually in high school. You probably knew this was coming. Where are you? I, I know you did. When she, when she was in high school, she was a member of um, the, the court for homecoming uh, queen, and I was her escort, and I was dressed up in my tie, and you know, she, everybody looked beautiful, but up in the stands, I turned around, and I saw these four men standing there, naked from the waist up, and they had a big, one had a big A, and another one had a big N. And then there was another N, and then there was an A. And Michael, my son, whom you know, uh, I think he was one of the A's. Well, these, f- <laughs> these four guys were standing there yelling her name. Anna. Now, that's a fan. <laughs> it's other things, uh, maybe, as well. Uh, but for the most part, fans are good-natured people, aren't, aren't they? They're just they're fun-loving people. Well, how be it a little bit flamboyant at times. But, you know, Jesus had his fans, too. Jesus had fans. Um, In fact, some of the fans were, well, just a little bit fickle. Uh, Sometimes they fade away when their team begins to falter. They're not too excited about hanging around uh, Jesus, uh, for sure, when he started talking about, hey, guys, I'm going to go to a cross. And the Son of Man's going to die on that cross. And they didn't get it. And all of a sudden, their fans sort of, uh, the fans sort of trickled away. You remember the rich guy? We call him the rich young ruler. Um, he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, oh, sweet. Well, not really, but he said, come on, fo- follow me. And, and yet Jesus said, if you want to do that, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The fan of Jesus decided, well, maybe this following Jesus just isn't for me. How about the fans at the triumphal entry, you know, when Jesus was entering into the city? From Bethany going down the hill and up the other side to the old city uh, and ultimately facing the cross. He had lots of fans there. They were cheering, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were even tearing limbs off of trees and throwing palm branches before him. Those were fans. They were fans sort of like the cheeseheads. They, they, were, they were just into the celebration of who this person was, Jesus, uh, probably a good bit like most fans, what they can get out of it for themselves, which is the exhilaration and the adrenaline pump of being on the winning side. But alas, what about the team that no longer wins? The fans become a bit more uh, subdued. 
Uh, Peter was a fan at times. You know, Jesus, uh, he said to Jesus, um, I'll never desert you, Jesus, I'll never leave you. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Peter was a fan at times. That gives me some, some hope. Because there are times when I realize I'm a fan. And maybe you've discerned that about yourself. That when, when things are going well, and when you can understand everything that God's doing... Uh, um, and, and, then cert- and then a spouse dies or you lose your job all of a sudden um, you know the, 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 the glory if you will at least the emotional soulish go Jesus begins to fade uh, just a little bit well I guess all of us are fans at times but what about what Jesus has really come to do, and that is to not just have fans, but to have followers. The followers are different when, when uh, everything sort of goes south. They begin to understand something, and that is that God's working it all out for the good of his people. I sat in Hall Powell's Sunday School Discipleship class this morning, and that was one of the chief purposes that he was driving, God is in control. When you lose your spouse, when a marriage falls apart, when your addictions get the best of you, uh, when you lose your job, God is still in control. And all he's asking of us is that we follow him and trust him. Well, Followers, then, it's one who actually is fully committed, a devoted, if you will, follower of Jesus. Um, And what actually makes a follower is the question I want to ask and then answer this morning. And the easiest way to get at it is simply to say something has shifted in them. Something shifts within them. Um, You see, what happens in a life that shifts uh, someone from being a fan into becoming a follower. And I, I just want to take a moment and then read with you uh, this text in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. If you've got your Bible, read along. I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, let me give a little bit of a context here. Verse 27, uh, John the Baptist said, It is he who coming after me, referencing Jesus, is preferred before me. That means ranked higher than me. His sandal straps, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. Verse 28, these things, John tells us, were done in Bethany beyond the Jordan uh, where John was baptizing. Um, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. Now, John goes into sort of a parenthetical explanation now at verse 30. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me or ranked higher than me, uh, for he was before me. 
And I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I was sent to baptize with water. In other words, John was given the calling to baptize with water for one central purpose. It wasn't to lead people necessarily into repentance, though he did that. Repent for the kingdom of God is, is near. One's coming later, and you're going to follow him. But he, he was baptizing in order that Jesus would be revealed. And verse 32, then John bore witness, saying, probably the day before, John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, said to me, in advance, I presume, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now end with verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now what shifts a person from being a fan into being a true follower of Jesus? I'll just give you three things and I'll move through them hopefully quickly here. And The first one is a follower has experienced a radical change in the way they walk or the way they live their life. It's a change in the direction of the trajectory of their life. It's an interior uh, change that the Spirit of God produces in the heart. You see, you, you can't um, uh, work your way into this uh, heart change thing. You can become busy, and you can join the church, and you can sing on the choir or wherever, and you can uh, be on committees. You can do all those things, but that doesn't create necessarily the heart change that Jesus is really looking at. Uh, a follower is a person who has had a radical change in the way they walk or the way they live. They change the direction of the trajectory of their life. Now, how did that happen in this text? Well, verse 29, Jesus said, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, followers of Jesus uh, have beheld him, which is to say that they, don't, they have not just uh, seen him from a distance or they haven't just heard about him, but they've actually beheld him. They have looked upon the gloriousness of this man who came full of grace and truth and they have beheld something about who he is. Well, it's the beholding of that by which we receive revelation. Uh, behold, have you beheld Jesus? That's a serious question to contemplate. Oh, yeah, I know about him. I've read things about him. I've studied the scriptures. I've memorized it. But, but are you beholding him? You see, Followers see Jesus, and in their seeing him, they receive a revelation of who he is. And I want to jump, you don't need to turn here, but to Matthew chapter 16. Some uh, time later, Jesus was hanging with his disciples, and he came to his disciples, and he said um, in, in Matthew 16, 13, uh, uh, Who do men say that I am? Now remember, the Pharisees sent people last week, it was read, and they said, are you uh, the Christ? Or are you one of the prophets? Or are you Elijah? And here, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And uh, 
you know, it went on. And finally, Jesus looked to his disciples. I bet you he looked right at Peter. He looked in those big brown eyes, I'm assuming Peter had. And he said, but who do you say that I am? In other words, have you beheld who the Son of Man is? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said, you're getting it. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's the revelation of the Father by beholding Jesus it is, it is that which begins to transform the interior makeup of a man or a woman by which their spirit is birthed. Have you seen Jesus? Have you beheld him? Have you received the revelation of the Father? You see, the church in America, I believe, is probably filled with many people who know a whole lot about Jesus they got a whole lot of Jesus facts. They can quote the scriptures about Jesus. They can preach sermons about Jesus. They can do all kinds of things about Jesus. But the question is, have they beheld him so that they see the revelation of who this one is? That is what changes a man. That's what transforms the trajectory of a woman into beginning to walk differently uh, in this life. You see... In John chapter 1, verse 34, Jesus ends with his testimony. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's what Peter was saying. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, and oh, by the way, upon this revelation, I will build my church. But what's going to build this church or any church, any particular church, any local church, into the future. Will it be finding a better preacher than me? There are lots of them. A better leader than me? There are lots of them too. But you know what? The church isn't built on a preacher or a leader. It's built upon the revelation of men and women beholding Jesus and receiving that revelation into their heart that transforms their hearts. That is what makes us a new creation. But see, it gets even better than that. Not just beholding Jesus, but John went on and he said, uh, behold the Lamb of God. And here's where it gets really good. He takes away the sin of the world. You see, it's the revelation, not just that Jesus is the, the Lamb, the Son of God, but this Son of God came to do something. Who he is is the Son of God. What he has done is he came and lived among us. He walked to a cross ultimately in Jerusalem, gave himself on that cross for the likes of me and for the likes of you. Why? To take away your sin. Beloved, if you're carrying guilt today for anything you have done, my admonition is stop. Give it up. Well, how do you do that? Just repent. Turn a new direction from it. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away my sin, who has dealt with it and separated it as far as the east is from the west, who's thrown it into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Can anything really do that? Only the blood of Jesus. That is enough. He is enough. 
True followers experience radical change in their lives, new direction in the trajectory of their life because they've seen by revelation who Jesus is and what he has done for them on the cross. And we go, whoa, that's awesome. But you know what? There's more. Uh, there's actually uh, you know, a good bit more. I'm going to skip the section that some years later John saw in the Revelation um, still beholding the lamb, he said, uh, he saw, he beheld a lamb as if it had been slain from the foundation. John, this guy just beheld the lamb. What's God calling you to is the question. Do you want to spend the rest of your life just making a living? I mean, you know, you got to make a living. I get that, you know, eking out an existence. Or do you want to behold something greater than yourself, beholding the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, become a follower of this man, Jesus, the son of God, and give your life all chips in? That's what he demands from each one of us. To become a follower is to have all of the chips in. You see, this lamb was... uh, was executed for our sin, but he also died to exchange our life for his life. You see, our sin was placed upon Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness was placed upon us. That only comes by revelation. If you're still carrying your sin, or if you're still trying to figure out how to be righteous by doing something different, you need to stop, because Jesus is your righteousness, And when you recognize that he's the lamb, he beholding him and what he has done, he then gives you his righteousness. It's imputed into your account. And that begins to change the trajectory of your life forever. Followers have their lives changed. Secondly, let me move through this kind of quickly here. Um, True followers uh, understand that they're under new management. Now, let me read this for you for just a moment. Let's go back to verse 33. We have beheld the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We received revelation of that. That gets us into heaven, if you will. And most of the church, now let me soften it. Many people in the church get that. They understand that their sins are forgiven and one of these days are going to be in heaven. Come on, that's good stuff. Uh, All my sins are forgiven by revelation. I understand Jesus died for me. And one of these days I'm going to be in heaven. That's not the gospel. That's half of the gospel. You say, oh, come on, you're making something up. Read with me in verse 33. Jesus didn't just come to go to a cross to suffer and pay the penalty for your sin so you can go to heaven. What did he do then? Well, verse 33, I did not know him, John says, but that he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the Father said to me, is what John is saying, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're into that Holy Spirit stuff. It's exactly what we're into. You see, because... Because God didn't send his son to go to a cross to forgive your sin, to get you into heaven. God sent his son to give his life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to get heaven into you. 
There is a difference. You will get in heaven one day, but God is not just interested in us getting into heaven. He is interested in getting heaven, the son of man, into you so that you will then be reinvigorated by his life, reindwelt by his spirit that we lost in the fall when we fell into sin. Verse 33, he who sent me to baptize with water said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is, is an essential part of the gospel. And we say, oh, that's the full gospel. There's nothing full about this. This is the gospel. You see, there's only one gospel. And the gospel suggests this, that God sent his Son uh, from eternity, the eternal pre-existent Son of God, to come to this earth, and he slipped on human form, the incarnation, and looked like a man called Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life because he was absolutely devoid of independent self-centeredness, and he did nothing except what the Father was saying and speaking and doing in him, that Jesus went to a cross, died on the cross, rose from the dead, there's the other part of the gospel, ascended into heaven, and from that exalted place, God was not just interested in forgiving our sin. He said, I'm going to give them my very presence. And if you're trying to live your life just having your sin forgiven and abiding your time until you get into heaven, you're missing half of the gospel. And you are sitting, living in your own self-centered existence, trying to be a Christian in your own human resources. And that never works. Not for very long. I've tried that, by the way. Anybody else? Jerry, a couple others, a few others. Try to be a Christian in your own steam. And you become frustrated and angry. You just can't do it because you were never supposed to. I'll give you a couple of uh, scripture references real fast. The Holy Spirit is the whole gospel. That is, his coming was part and parcel with Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it's post-resurrection. Jesus walked among his disciples and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Don't do anything. Oh, we've been with Jesus. We know what he would do. We've got to get out and do it. No, he said, don't do anything. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. I baptize with water, but he, uh, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. Power for what? Power to live the life he's called you to. Power to stop being religious in your own steam. The power to, to be authentic. Power to have your internal your trajectory changed to you so that we live differently because of his life now in us. Living our life under new management. You see, to be a follower not just means to have your life changed and the way you walk changed, but it means to live your life under new management. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You see, and the Holy Spirit is not just about gifts. He's not just about fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. What the Spirit produces by His gifts and He produces fruit. But the Holy Spirit is not just about gifts or just about fruit. The Holy Spirit is about bringing your life 
if you will, into a whole new operating system. Uh, to bring your life from being managed in your own strength to become managed by the power of the Spirit. You see, that's the gospel. And we've perverted it in America. You see, God's given a purpose to his church, and that's for his people to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can't do that without Jesus doing it in you and through you. You see, to be empowered, to live that way, to love others. The great commandment, love God with all your heart and love others. You can't love other people, really, because I'm a self-centered, I'm, I'm amazing how self-centered I am at times. And if I live in my fanness and not as a follower and allowing Jesus to work this life change and new management system in me, uh, uh, I will miserably fail, and so will you. But he empowers us to love God, to love other people, and to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, I just want to target that the man that gave me this shirt you would never, I won't point, point his name out for fear of embarrassing him. But you know what? He's a disciple maker. He's not got his name on, the, you know, on the, the back of our bulletin or anything. God's not looking for people to get their names anywhere. He's looking for people to become men and women of influence because they've had their hearts changed. Because they're under new management. And they're beginning to live by a new power. So he just quietly walks and gives books out that seem to be of interest to him and to other people, and then he gives them stuff like this. Correlates to the books that they're reading. Now, I'm saying this because a lot of you are men and women of influence already. You see, you're not waiting for the church to, to, to hit some magic gong. Why? Because that's who you are. Your heart's been changed. Many of you are doing this kind of stuff where you're just loving people and loving God and making disciples in the nations. Well, there's one other thing that I would mention, and that is under new management. I think I'll end with, with this scripture. I had another point, but it's really, uh, it's just more of the same. Can you get more of the same? We need so much more of the same. Well, here it is with life under new uh, management. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, actually 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 17. I read it at our prayer time uh, Wednesday night, and it says this. Now, we're talking about living life under new management, the management of the Holy Spirit. It says, verse 17 in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I've read this before. See, he who is joined to the Lord and the Lord joined to him or her, you're one spirit with him. And then he goes on, Paul goes on, and he talks about the body. He just talked about the spirit being mystically united with Jesus. And now he says, he talks about the body. Uh, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, uh, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And then he goes on. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of Holy Spirit? See, Jesus came and died 
was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father to pour out the Spirit so that you can become an, 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 a person inhabited by his presence. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. See, that's pretty redundant. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, whom you have received, and this has come from God. And now the last phrase says, and you are not your own. You see, the key to the church, the key to the church in any age and in any era is for men and women to be so captured by the Lord Jesus and so filled with his presence, their sin having been forgiven and being filled with his spirit so that they're now operating by his spirit working in them with the recognition that I no longer belong to myself. You see, fans are people who belong to themselves. And as soon as the team stops winning, the fans start leaving. But followers say, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't want to just be a fan and wear a cheese head all my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus, and so do most of you, because you're men and women whose hearts have been captured by the Spirit of God, the temple of the living God, joined to the Lord, temple of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. What was the price that paid for your sin, for your redemption? The blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, because they belong to God. You see, followers have had a radical change in the way they walk because of the working of Christ, the revelation in their heart. They understand that they're living under a new management. You don't belong to yourself anymore. If you're living for yourself, you're a fan, pure and simple. And Jesus is looking for fully devoted followers. He said, come follow me. So skipping my third point, which really is life living by a new principle, that's Jesus in you. He is the life within us. But you see, Jesus said stuff like this in Matthew 16, right after he said, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you. And upon this church, I'll build, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then a few verses later, Jesus said, And oh, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You see, fully devoted followers of Jesus have settled the issue of who's in charge. They've settled the issue of who gets to say, who gets to call the shots and who has to say so over their life. Uh, Dean, would you come? We're going to just end with a song here, but I want to just have a moment of quietness and ask you the question this morning. Like I have asked myself, am I more of a fan or am I more of a follower? Now, that's not to condemn me or anybody else when you slip into being a fan. It's simply to recognize that we're being called, again, to be followers of Jesus, and nothing else will satisfy or matter. 
So let's just pray for a minute. We'll end and then we'll take a stretch break and come back for our congregational meeting. Father, thank you for for giving us just a holy moment. Lord, would you search our hearts? You've done so much for each one of us. You've given your life for us. You're living your life in us. And you really desire to live your life as us. Nevertheless, Paul said, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. So, Lord, I pray today, just as we're ending, that there would be people all over this sanctuary and maybe some in their own living rooms at home as they're watching online. God, that they would say in their heart, Lord, I don't want to be a fan and just shake the pom-poms when things are good. Lord, I want to be a follower of Jesus so that I can say whatever would happen to me to live as Christ but to die as gain. Lord, we take up our cross today. We deny ourselves and we follow you. Beloved, would you make that commitment today? Would you turn from self-reliance and would you turn back to the author of life, Jesus himself, living in you by the Holy Spirit and say something, if it's appropriate, like, God, I'm sorry that I try to live life through my own resources. I can't. But God, I know you can. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you change my heart? Would you do with me all that serves your purposes from this day forward? And God, I will live only for the praise of your glory. And everybody said together, amen. Let's stand.